As the recently appointed executive director of the Berrien County Historical Association, Rhiannon Sison welcomed a new curator, John, who'd been diligently sifting through the museum's artifact collection. To his astonishment, he uncovered a trove of unsettling, undocumented items, including a live missile, bullets, an artillery shell, Civil War cannonballs, and a World War I bomb. Prompt action was taken, summoning the local bomb squad to assess this potentially hazardous collection. Following their evaluation, the matter was promptly handed over to the nearby military base. <laughs> so he calls me later that night and says, the U.S. Air Force from Grissom Air Force Base in Indiana will be up tomorrow at 11 a.m. to remove these bombs because we think some of them are active, including a couple that are already quite deteriorated. So the next day we had to close the museum and we had just reopened to the public. This is all during COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, we had just re reopened the public, so we had to close back down again. I'd come in, but of course we all came in because we were all nosy individuals. Curiosity's going to kill this cat, I'm pretty sure of it. And they were here for several hours. Ultimately, they ended up taking three Civil War cannonballs, none of which had any connection to Berrien County. A Civil War grape shot, again, no connection to Berrien County. And two world uh, a World War One German artillery shell, and then the egg shaped piece of metal, which was a World War One German hand grenade, both of which were war trophies from a local family's grandfather when he had served in <laughs> World War One. And those last two have been in our collection for decades. Stay tuned as Rhiannon shares the riveting outcome of this extraordinary tale and relates how John finds something else in the collection that's much more gruesome than a bomb on the latest episode of Preservation Oaks. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Thanks for being here. We have a great program for you today. For this episode, we greet Miss Rhiannon Sison, the Executive Director of the Berrien County Historical Association located in Berrien Springs, Michigan. By the end of this episode, I'm positive you'll want to join them and donate toward achieving their mission to collect, preserve, and communicate the history of Berrien County. I'm Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and I'm coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature information about museums, cultural, and heritage institutions 
associations, historical and genealogical societies, and history-focused media creators across the United States. Our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com, and you can also find us on nearly all podcast platforms, as well as Rumble, Getter, Minds, TikTok, Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. So wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. If you'd like your organization to be featured as our guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, send off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we focus on World War I and its impact on U.S. families. It's very interesting what occurred during World War I in the United States history, and I think you'll enjoy this episode. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical February events for this episode, on February 14th, by the way, happy Valentine's Day. On February 14th, 1859, Oregon became the 33rd state to be admitted to the Union. On February 14th, 1912, Arizona became the 48th state to be admitted to the Union. On February 15th, 1764, establishment of the city of St. Louis in Spanish Louisiana, now in the state of Missouri. On February 19, 1878, the first patent for the phonograph was issued to Thomas Alpha Edison. On February 20, 1792, the U.S. Postal Service was established. Happy birthday to the U.S. Postal Service and all the people who worked there. On February 21, 1842, John Greeno receives the first United States patent for the sewing machine. On February 25, 1881, Phoenix, the capital of Arizona, was incorporated as a city. Happy birthday, Phoenix. On February 27, 1951, ratification of the 22nd Amendment to the United States Constitution, which limits presidents to two terms, occurred. Thank you to www.poplayed.com for our historical events for this episode. Let's drink some tea, some Twining's tea. I love Twining's tea. Good tea. All right, let's read a short bio of our guest, Rhiannon Cezanne. Rhiannon serves as the seventh director of the Berrien County Historical Association and has been in the role since 2019. Prior to her arrival in Michigan, her nearly 20-year career in the museum and nonprofit world spanned from the Adirondacks of New York down to the mouth of the Rio Grande. Her passion for history began in childhood, but she was well in her college career before she seriously considered museums as a calling. She has a Bachelor of Arts in apparel design and public history from Ball State University and a master's in heritage management from Valparaiso University. When not working hard to revitalize the courthouse square, she enjoys being dog mom to her brat terrier Nessie and enjoys reading, crafting, and visiting museums and tacky tourist traps. All right. Welcome to the program, Rhiannon. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How are you doing today? It's such a pleasure having you as our guest. Well, I am doing great. It's been a 
busy day despite being closed <laughs> to the public. So <laughs> this is just one more thing to get done for the day before we open tomorrow and start the week all over again. You know what I think is one of the coolest things about Berrien Springs and Berrien County is its location. Mm -hmm. It's right across the lake from Chicago, Illinois, right down the lake from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right across the border from Indiana. It's perfectly located to get anywhere in the Great Lakes region. Is there ferry service from Berrien County to Chicago or Milwaukee? So we are obviously serviced by I-80-94 as you get further into Indiana and up into Michigan. 94 is what connects us to Detroit, or you can take U.S. Route 31, which goes all the way north into like Grand Rapids, all the way south into Indianapolis, and that actually passes right through town on the outskirts. I, I suppose, I guess, technically you could take a boat from Chicago, but there is no technical ferry service. Okay. It's very deceiving on Google Maps because it looks like, you know, you can just cut right across here and hit Chicago, right? So mm -hmm. I did a distance thing. Yep. And it's 68 miles across the lake from Berrien Springs to Chicago. 68 miles. Then I thought, well, how long would it take by ferry to get there? And so I just did 60 miles at 22 or 23 knots because the average ferry, according to one website anyway, was that a, a ferry goes 15 to 30 knots on average. And so I did 23 knots and it said it would take two hours and 61 uh, travel time, 2.61 hours. So, that sounds about right because we do know that historically there were a lot of cargo ships and service ships, as well as combination cargo and passenger services that would leave from the mouth of the St. Joe River, which is St. Joseph and Benton Harbor, and they'd go across. Um, and we do know that there had been a race around the late 1800s between two major carriers, and uh, they reported that at their top speed, they got across the lake, I think, in like around two hours when it normally took around three. And we're talking about coal-powered steamships. We're not talking electric or gas with yeah. the higher powers we have today. So it was something that, you know, was reported by the passengers. The passengers were getting into it. They were cheering for their captain. And, uh, yeah, so they got from St. Joe, which is just north of Stevensville, down to the heart of Chicago in the loop in about two hours. Wow. So they weren't tempted to try that quite again, <laughs> but... It was one of those rare moments that you kind of, oh, that's really cool. It still really surprised me how long it was when it just looks like a little blip, you know, on the on the map app. But wow, yep. it's quite a distance. Hey, have you attended any interesting events or festivals in Berrien Springs that you'd recommend to visitors? So actually, not so much as attend, but worked. The Berrien County Historical Association is an OG founder, original gangsta original founder of the Berrien Springs Pickle Fest, which started in 2021. It was a revival of the Christmas Pickle Festival from the 90s and early 2000s. We host it here at the museum and at the library, which is across the street from us, every July 4th. And it's very well attended. We just got some numbers from last year's event, and they're estimating about 6,500 people attended last year's event, which is about... 2,500 more than we were anticipating and had assumed. 94 feet, 
is our record length of the pickle fling, which is a, which is a cucumber for sanitary purposes. <laughs> but we do have vendors who sell pickles, food vendors who sell pickle-themed items. We have arts and crafts and makers and shakers and businesses. And what sets us apart from some of the other pickle festivals is we do have a tasting room. So each year we pick around 10 items, pickled items or pickled flavored items, and we have that available. That's for free, although donations are welcome to support the cost of that room. Kindle Your Christmas Spirit is every December. It's usually the first or second Thursday. There's not much consistency in that, but usually it's the first or second Thursday, six to nine. And uh, you can go all, all over downtown. There's stuff at the library. We have stuff here at the museum. And those are our biggest festivals. And Bering Springs has, has, has been working to bring more stuff. We're excited to pair with them again for another event in June called Berrien Springs into summer. We'll have music, we'll have vendors, food vendors, a car show, and the museum will be open for free as an open house. Kind of a nice family friendly or a date night opportunity to get us thinking about, you know, summer. Summer will be coming soon. So we're building and helping uh, contribute to the rise of these really cool, fun events around the village. Yeah, that's really cool. When is the Pickle Festival? Pickle Fest is July 4th. Oh, July 4th. Very cool. Yeah, we we decided just to keep it on the 4th of July so that we could be consistent in our branding, advertising, and reporting. So if we kind of know when we're doing it, like we know every January, you know, these guys go out and every March we go, this goes out and every, you know, we, we can, we can make estimations and people can begin to plan a year ahead. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, let's go to the Pickle Festival on July 4th. That's very cool. Yeah, I believe we've changed the times this year. It should be 10 to 5. Yeah, 10 to 5. We thought four hours was a little cramped. <laughs> so we've spread it out a little bit. So, yep, July 4th, 10 to 5 here in Marion Springs. That's very good. And do, you, do you have craft vendors? We do. We try to make sure there isn't too many craft vendors of a particular style, but everything from... We have people who do wood crafts. We have people who make shirts or personalized items. We have jewelry people. We have come and build your own, you know, necklace or bracelet or just buy a bunch of beads to take home and craft with. Um, but we also have local organizations like First Student who are always looking for bus drivers. And we have food vendors that both sell prepackaged food. We had one woman do macaroons last year. We've had several folks sell pickles. Thank God we forgot those the first year. And then we have food vendors, actual food vendors, you know, like Ben's Pretzels and, you know, Woodstock Grill and Town Hall Pizza, who all have both regular items as well as some pickle flavored items. Great Lakes Lemonade, which was one of our first vendors in 2021, is coming back. And she's reported that she's been experimenting with a pickle flavored lemonade. Oh, cool. Which, you know, when you think of Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it challenges people. And then they have not yet confirmed this year, but Freaking Pickles out of Saginaw, Michigan area came last year. And they, you know, they have this, you know, basically kind of like a pickle bar. And you pick what flavors you want and they'll package them up and sell them to you. And so, yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Oh, very cool. I bet it's a lot of fun. You know what? It is. I mean, obviously, it's, it's kind of hard on my end to judge things because I'm working it. But there's this wonderful sense of accomplishment when you get, you know, we had about 20 out of our almost 50 vendors last year, 23 took advantage of the early, the early bird return period. We allow previous vendors to 
basically we will eventually have limited spots because we'll lack the property for it. But we give them the first opportunity to come in and get their spots in first before we open it to the general public and businesses and things like that. So I think about a third of them are already on their third year with us. So they've been with us since 2021. Oh, nice. And do you get a lot of tourism? Uh, we do. Uh, Berrien County, it's our biggest industry, easily outstripping farming, which is still a very big industry here. I think it's like easily like a couple million people a year pass through Berrien County for tourist purposes. We do know they did a study at Silver Beach and they had three quarters of a million people come through the park just in the main and what we call the shoulder season. So typically Memorial Day to Labor Day is considered the season. And then your shoulder seasons, which people are starting to come back or starting to do their travel before the peak of the season is usually like May um, and September, October. And so they kind of ran it from, I think, April to October and so, I mean, you've got just the beach alone, you know, three quarters of a million visitors. Oh, um, how many of those were repeats? We, I don't know if they have that information, but it's still an impressive amount of for just one park. So you take that and you explode it, you know, across St. Joe and Benton Harbor and, you know, further down in Harbor Country or down in Niles or Buchanan. Most people say along the coast, but definitely come into the center part of the county. We have wonderful things up in Cloman, Waterville, and down in, you know, Three Oaks and Niles and Buchanan. And those numbers are definitely changing because now you have the influx of weed tourists, especially out of Indiana, some from Ohio. And we do get people from Chicago because we are a little bit cheaper than Illinois for the time being that may want to change in the future. But yeah, so it's, it's hard to say, but it's got to be close to $2 million annually. Summer's rocking. I know. I live just outside of downtown. So why are you all here? Please take a different route. <laughs> Although it's the main drag into, it's the main route in, it's the business route into downtown. So I can't change anything. But, you know, it's, I always know when the season is starting because you definitely, you're waiting a little bit longer and you got to adjust your time for that. Wow. What is the history of Berrien County? So Berrien County is located in the very southwest corner of Michigan. In the 1820s, we started to see some permanent establishments in what would become Berrien County, although the first white settlers came here in the 1600s with the establishment of both Fort St. Joseph in Miami and what is now St. Joseph. If you're confused, it's okay. The locals get confused, too. Eventually, as the Northwest Territory began to um, be in a split off into respective states, by the 1830s, Michigan, what would become the Michigan Territory, was starting to think about statehood. And so they began to really pushing for, you know, governments and things like that. And Berrien County was actually formed out of Cass County. Cass County was split in half. And the western part of it, the one that ran along the coast, became Berrien County. We are named for John Berrien, who is President and or was, he's he's very much dead, Andrew Jackson's attorney general, who thus making us a cabinet county. For those of you who don't know, a cabinet county is a county named for a member of the then sitting president's 
cabinet. So it could be a secretary of the state, it could be an attorney general, it could be a, you know, transportation, treasury, whatever. A lot of the, there's a lot of us in Michigan and in the Midwest because there was a lot of formation at the time. John Berrien was originally from Georgia and there is a Berrien County in Georgia. So make sure when you're searching Berrien County to put Michigan, otherwise you will be having a grand time in Georgia and not here. (laughs) There was not much in the early years, Berrien County was under the fiscal and legal conservatorship of past before 1832, when it was transferred to Berrien County and they were allowed to formulate their own county government. In 1837, Michigan became a state, and that same year, a county seat, Berrien Springs, was officially named by the county. Contrary to what St. Joe and Niles will tell you, they are not the original county seat because no county seat was named prior to 1836. And so the county continued to evolve. In the very early years, farming was the biggest. It still remains a very, very large part of it, about 50% or near Nears about of the land available in Berrien County is still farmed. What has been farmed has changed over the years. For us, cash crops, I guess is the best way to put it, are grapes. We are the number one producer of Niagara grapes in the state of Michigan, and Michigan is the number one producer in the United States, making us number one in the USA. We are number one. Uh, We also produce a ton of apples. We are top five in the state for general fruits and vegetables. And of course, this agricultural community, UPICS, and agro-tourism. And uh, we actually do know of several farms that would eventually rent out portions of their property or have something built on their property to rent out. And people from the city would come and they'd rent a room and quote-unquote be on the farm. Eventually, tourism. Tourism became a popular pastime beginning about the 1880s, 1890s. That began to explode. The railroad brought in quite a lot of work, especially in places like New Buffalo and Niles, St. Joe, Benton Harbor, where they were major hubs along the rail lines. And then things like boating, shipping, boat building became popular. We do know lumber and timber was big in the area. And eventually manufacturing. At one point, there were you know several dozens of companies in Berrien County. Obviously, our largest one today still in existence is Whirlpool, whose corporate headquarters are in Benton Harbor. The Clark Equipment Company, many of you probably remember Clark from their Michigan line, originally formed by the uh, Ross Carrier Company. We have had the precursor to Jockey, the, the underwear company, started in Berrien County in St. Joe. And uh, of course, smaller mom and pop businesses have built up over the years. The population remains relatively stable. We're about 150,000 to 155,000. It does fluctuate a little bit. And of course, we've seen some changes due to things like COVID and more work from home folks are being lured into Berrien County. Unfortunately, that does kind of impact the fact that we have very low housing in Chicago than it would be here in Berrien County. Currently, the government seat is at St. Joseph, which was a part of a very contentious election in 1894, and the current courthouse was built in 1867. Secondary center of government was moved to Niles. The county sheriff, the court system, and a few of the government offices have secondary offices in Niles to serve the East County instead of everyone having to go all the way to St. Joe. And for the most part, it is, you know, it's a pretty rocking little town. It's quite quiet on the conservative side and uh, mostly pretty consistent. 
all in all, slightly rural, but there's a lot of really great little things and it's it's not bad. It's a it's a great little com- community to live in and work in and a lot of interesting history that we're trying to uncover that people either are very nostalgic about or have completely forgotten. Yeah, it's a charming community. Just going on my map app and just looking, going down the streets, that kind of thing. It's a very charming community. I'm very surprised by grapes being your number one crop. That's very interesting. Do you have wineries? <laughs> I know. Uh, but it doesn't make, it's not much of a surprise because actually by the, by the 1980s, there was a, a bit of a dip in tourism. And tourism waxes and wanes. But the, the temperature and the atmosphere and most importantly, the soil around here, which tends to be a little on the sandier side due to us being so close to the lake and quite rich because of the lake's, you know, previous expansion, you know, into where we're at now back in many tens of thousands of years ago, makes it a very rich soil to grow in. So it's perfect for grapes. And there was uh, some you know, early guys like, you know, St. Julian's who were pioneering tasting rooms and growing locally. And then a few more joined them. And then by the 2000s, there were a significant number of wineries who were then followed by breweries. Um, And now we have distilleries. So you have uh, journeyman distilleries, the most well-known of them. But we kind of all three are available locally. And that helped revitalize the the tourist industry because then you had a lot of folks like you know bachelorette parties or weddings being hosted or family reunions or people just going on vacation generally they had an opportunity well we have we can go to this winery and kind of have a bit of a wine tasting and then the rise of what we would now refer to as a brew pub yeah where you can get a good drink and you they have food but there's also other restaurants and you can kind of ultimately end up creating, oh, there's a really cool hotel or there's a really neat resort. And so you basically can make an entire weekend out of it, go shopping in St. Joe or stroll down Whitaker Street, you know, New Buffalo. Maybe you want to catch a concert at Four Winds. Maybe you are wanting to go see BMX riders in Buchanan. Like there was all these other things that you could build around. And then, I mean, it's still, I mean, there was never a time where there were no tourists, but that kind of fed into it. And so you have a desire, the desire grows and it grows. Well, you need to in the last 25 years. I know we all joke about wine moms, but you know what? Sometimes you just need to relax. And (laughs) from that, you ultimately end up with a need to fulfill. So then here comes, you know, these farmers who maybe they weren't making much off of, you know, apples or pumpkins or cucumbers or whatever. So they convert to grapes and then suddenly they're being a part of this. A significant chunk of our farmers actually don't feed the wine industry, though, these days. The biggest consumer of our grapes actually is Welsh's grape juice. I'll be. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at least I know of at least two or three local farmers who have been on the national board for Welsh's for the, you know, for the grape section. So it's, you know, it's, it's fed in and it's, we're the fruit belt. We're called the fruit belt for the, for a reason. You know, we got the Glad Peach Festival up in Coloma and they're known for their peaches. There's a gentleman in in Coloma that has not one, but two patents on peaches and has been able to help expand the diversity of peach species. Apples are huge around here. I mean, you name an apple, it's probably been grown locally. 
I mean, there's certain species that don't grow very well down here, but most do. And so you drive through Berrien County and grapes and grapes and grapes and orchard, 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 cherry trees. We used to have a cherry festival over in Eau Claire, cherry festival, you know. Tra- Traverse City is much bigger about it, but we have them locally too. So, I mean, blue, I mean, blueberry festivals technically in South Haven, which is in Van Buren, but we, the, the point is, is there's a lot of farming, a lot of fruits. And it just so happened that the grapes kind of became the number one thing we got known for. But everything else, I mean, we're, we're, we're producing, we're, we're a veritable, you know, food basket down here. And we, our farmers produce for large scale operations and corporations. Some farmers moved into processing of the Flam family. They were farmers for a really long time and then eventually moved into processing and they now own Flam's pickles. Well, processing, I guess. They produce like 5 million pounds of relish each year for major names like Heinz and Kraft. And a lot of their product, a lot of their source for pickles or pickled items come from Berrien County. What a wonderful heritage. Wow. I would have never guessed. That's wonderful. So what's the story of your organization? What's the history? The 1839 courthouse, which was built in 1839, is the original county courthouse for Berrien Springs. In 1966, these almost 50 years, was forced to move to a new home because they outgrew the space. The problem was, is they no longer needed the building, and there was a danger to this very historic structure that it could be lost. So the Berrien County Historical Commission was formed out of nine individuals, which you can get their names off our website, berrienhistory.org, and they decided their goal was to save this very historic structure. It was the oldest of its kind in the state of Michigan. It is one of the best examples of a large-scale Greek revival building in Berrien County. And of course, it's connected to the very roots of Berrien County's government as a permanent location, I should say. And so they formulated a plan. They got the county to assist in the purchase of the building, and they did all of the fundraising and renovations. By the 1970s, however, additional items came into their laps such as the 1830 Murdoch Log Cabin. And suddenly it shifted from the concept of just saving this one building to creating not just a historic building that's saved, but to save the history of Berrien County. There were three additional structures that they needed to gain to get the full county seat back, both privately owned by this time. And so they ended up in 1975, I'm sorry, 76. In 1976, they ended up restructuring as the Berrien County Historical Association, which is the name we've been operating under since then. Over the next 10 years, they received, uh, either they received from the county to Stewart, or they purchased and transferred back to the county, various buildings, including the 1870 Sheriff's Residence, the 1830 Murdoch Log Cabin, they tore down the doctor's office, and they renovated the auxiliary building into Bennett's Forge. By 2000, all of the buildings were once again under ownership of the county with the addition of the records building. And we are now 1.6 acres. So the idea is that we operate this property on behalf of Berrien County, which was shifted under the ownership of the Parks Department in 2014. So we're not just a historic site. We're not just a museum. We're also technically a county park a portion of our identity that we're still trying to develop because we're in a kind of a unique situation in comparison to like Love Creek or Madeline Bertrand and their 
disc golf course and of course Silver Beach. We have been undergoing an extensive amount of revitalization since 2019 after almost 20 years of stagnation. Many of our permanent exhibits have been received a much needed update. And in 2014, we rebranded the museum as a history center at Courthouse Square. So we operate as a business, the History Center Courthouse Square, but we are a third-party organization known as the BCHA. And we are always looking to find ways to modernize the organization as a museum is meant, a history museum is meant to preserve and explore the past. It is not meant to operate within it. So modernization has been a huge key, but it's been wonderful and it's given us an opportunity to explore this history a lot more and we continue to do what we can to make it an exciting place for people who want to come see it. Fantastic. Thank you for that very much. Mm-hmm. Rhiannon, it's time to take a break for a few minutes. Sounds good to me. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. Are you passionate about history? Join the Berrien County Historical Association as a volunteer and make a difference in your community. Contribute your skills and enthusiasm to rehousing of artifacts, research initiatives, preparing exhibits, hosting events, providing event support, and community outreach programs. It's super important work that directly helps the growth and operations of the association. Join our dedicated team and help preserve the stories that shape Berrien's identity. Volunteer with the Berrien County Historical Association. If you're interested, visit the website at berrienhistory.org or email at info at You can also visit the History Center at Courthouse Square at 313 North Cash Street, Berrien Springs, Michigan. You'll be glad you did. Join, donate, and become a member today. This is Ruth Armstrong from the Genealogical Society of Lynn County, Iowa, located in Cedar Rapids. And I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Natasha Adams, the Director of the Heritage Museum in Independence, Oregon. I had a lot of fun as a guest on Preservation Oaks. This is Katherine Seiner, the Executive Director of the Oswego Heritage Council, and I enjoyed being a guest on Preservation Oaks with Sean Ratcliffe. This is Cheyenne Janstadter, Archives Manager and Outreach Associate at the Museum of Danish America, and you're listening to Preservation Oaks. Now, listen carefully to what I'm telling you. I want you to get up off of your overworked bottom and immediately connect with your local historical or genealogical society and volunteer to make a difference in your community and the people all around you. Before you even think about saying no, remember that little weekend you had last summer at the lake? Well, 
I've got the pictures to make your life utterly miserable, you little twat. Now get up and get going. You hear me? I said do it now. Oh my god. I think I've had a bit too much history. I think I've been thrown into an alternate reality. Sort of a parallel universe kind of thing. Hmm, no, I think it's just that I'm identifying so much with the people of the past. Excellent. This is kinda nice, knowing how things really work and using history to make better decisions for the future. I'm kind of digging this. Wow. I love history. Oh my goodness. Okay now, that's much better. Let's keep on listening. Wherever you get your podcast groove on, you can get all the history you can eat anytime with Preservation Oaks. Join other listeners at preservationoaks.podbean.com and let us know what you think by sending email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. There you are, in your doctor's waiting room again. Nothing to do but flip through an old magazine from 2014. But, are you just waiting for your doctor, or is she really your partner in preserving history? Unsung heroes volunteering at the local historical society, gearing up for fundraising extravaganzas. Ever spread the word about the Preservation Oaks podcast to your friends? Elevate your waiting game by listening to Preservation Oaks episodes, making every minute riveting. Tune in at preservationoaks.podbean.com, YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, or your favorite podcast platform. Unleash the power of history during your wait. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Rhiannon Cezanne, the Executive Director of the Berrien County Historical Association located in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Rhiannon, let's pick up where we left off, and welcome back. Thank you. I love learning about your area of the country. It's so interesting because who would have known? Grapes, apples, boating, shipping. Tourism, I could have guessed because of the proximity to the lake, but I would have never mm-hmm. guessed all that agriculture. You go to the Southwest Michigan Tourist Council's website, farming, farming, agritourism, 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 wineries, breweries, distilleries, weed shops, the whole nine yards. It's it's nice. And the fa- a lot, there's not too the, there's not that many centennial families still hopping around, but we still got quite a handful who can trace their farming family roots back to the 1800s. Now, listeners, I'd like to share the contact information for the Berrien County Historical Association. You can reach them at their website at berrienhistory.org. And Berrien is spelled B-E-R-R-I-E-N history.org. You can email them at info at berrienhistory.org. You can find them on Facebook at History Center at Courthouse Square. Their mailing address is P.O. Box 261, Berrien Springs, Michigan, 49103. Their physical address 
is 313 North Cass Street, Berrien Springs, Michigan, 49103. So, Rhiannon, can you kindly share with the audience an overview of the communities you serve, the demographic makeup of your membership, and the mission and objectives of your association? Yeah, so as the County Historical Association, our primary responsibility is to the history of the entire county. So from Waterbury and Coloma in the north, all the way to New Buffalo in the southwest corner, to Niles in the southeast corner, um, and everyone else in between. In fact, I jokingly say our sub-motto is from farmland to dune land and all the history in between, because we cover everybody. And that has been a bit of a problem in the past, as previous administrations for the organization did not give the kind of focus that should have been there. But we are working to correct that as fast as we can because there's a lot of history that gets lost on a daily basis. And it's our responsibility to say that. So we have our largest cities are Nile, St. Joe, and Benton Harbor. Most other communities are much smaller than that. And then we have little hamlets and villages like Berrien Springs or Galeen, which are maybe a couple thousand people. So overall, about 100, as we said earlier, about 155,000 people give or take. As I said, that that is kind of changing as people are shifting and jobs and housing all become part of a much larger economic question. Our membership is predominantly people who live here. So I'd probably say about two-thirds of my membership have a Michigan address of some sort and a one-third has an out-of-state address. That's good because we want to make sure we're reaching as many people as we possibly can so that we can continue to meet our mission which is to collect and preserve artifacts related to our county history and therefore presenting that history through exhibits or publications. We'd help with research activities and educational opportunities. And of course, we try to work with as many community partners as we can. Fantastic. Now, I read your bio during the introduction, but can you tell our audience a little bit more about your background and how you came to do what you do now? So my background, I've always loved history. Uh, American Girl is absolutely, absolutely a part of that. Uh, but I never considered museums as a career until college. I actually majored in fashion design first. And I took a history of costume class and I realized, oh my God, I could play with historical costume and get paid for it. So my original plans had been to go into collections and collections management with a sub-focus on historical costume. So I ended up volunteering at Minnetrissa Cultural Center in Muncie, Indiana, which was with you know, my apartment was halfway between the campus and the, the, the university campus and the museum campus. So it worked out great. And then I got pulled into doing some things for programs because they found out I was a very loud person and they needed help with a field trip. <laughs> and so, yeah, I ended up really enjoying the career to get my history degree. And I found myself working in different museums and opportunities throughout the years. Uh, Michigan is state number six for me. And I've worked in museums ranging from you know, city historical associations like down in Brownsville to historic sites like Great Camp Sagamore to university-based museums such as the Tradition Center for the Arts at Appalachia State in North Carolina. I am familiar with Berrien County in this such that my grandparents on my father's side had a vacation house in Lakeside. So when I saw the job offer opportunity, I took it because it was close to family and it was what I was looking for. It was a directorship in a smaller organization that would give me some flexibility. And I was not anticipating doing the kind of work that I'm doing as I have done a lot of renovation work, but it's been exciting and it keeps, it keeps me on my toes. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Oh, very cool. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. 
So what's coming up on the horizon for the association? So we are coming to the end of our current strategic plan, and we are going to be doing some extensive review of what we may need to do for the next strategic plan. <laughs> um, anyway, so our next strategic plan will run 2025 to 2030. Um, and obviously things like financial stability or philanthropic growth would probably be something, but we'll do some work for that later in the year and announce that probably by December. But we're continuing to evolve the organization. We have done a lot of work in the last four and a half years. We're taking a bit of a breather this year. And then we'll start headlong into fundraising to complete the gutting and renovation of Bennett's Forge, which is not historic. So we got a little bit more wiggle room there. Some much needed repair work for the historic cabin, some grounds work. And eventually, hopefully in the next five to seven years, I can start fundraising extensively for the records building which would be about a $2.5 million project. So Ooh. we want to get the smaller projects done first. So we want to get those done first, allowing for us to kind of show, give us money. This is where your money is going to go and how we use it. It creates a real deep sense of trust with people. If you're going to give me your, if you're going to give me a thousand dollars, you're going to know that thousand dollars is being used appropriately to the project you had earmarked it for. But other than that, we're continuing to find ways to evolve our organization trying to do more stuff digitally. It's very strange for a millennial. I'm I'm a little not anti-technology because I'm very much attached to my phone, but it's not been a top priority for me in comparison to some other projects. But we want to continue to expand our footprint on the internet. We are wanting to make sure we are getting as much as much information out there that we have. And more importantly, fulfill our promise to the county by closing a significant amount of gaps in our archives and collections. So those are big, big, big projects for us. But of course, you know, those are long-term projects. Those are long-term thinking versus our more immediate stuff. So we do have, we do run exhibits every year, temporary exhibits. This year we're running three of them and they run quarterly. We have nothing this first quarter as it's our slowest time of year. And we often find we have to do some repair work downstairs anyway. So there's no point putting up an exhibit until I can repair it. But yeah, so we have this year's theme is the ABCs of history. So April, we'll see the installation of A is for architecture. We stole slash borrowed slash homage an idea from the Saint the Miss Missouri History Museum in St. Louis. And we are actually creating A's for architecture be one part history, one part architecture, and one part community art project. We are in the process of finalizing our 30 buildings that will go into this exhibit. But instead of just pictures on the wall, it'd be coloring panels that you can come and color. And we'll have information about the building, its architecture, and a little bit of a, about the building's past. So we're in the middle right now of finishing that project up so that we can get everything together we need for the exhibit. July, we'll see B is for Beauty, the textiles and accessories of the BCHA's collections. And October, we'll see the installation of C is for Cooking, vintage American vintage cooking traditions. Oh, cool. So the idea is we're kind of going a, a wide variety of things, outside, inside, and personal. You know, we think about it, community yet personal. We have been streamlining our, our projects and our, our, our programs, both because we are a very small staff and also because we're trying to figure out what people want. But two of the events I would like to highlight would be our wine tasting pairing. We'll have one in May, again. Uh, we'll pair a wine with a true crime. It's called a murderous pairing. And then in November, we're going to talk about vintage 1950s to 1970s food. So you'll get, we're going to pair wine with some old school 
have Jello involved recipes from mid-century cooking. We'll have our fireside tales, which are ghost stories around the fire in the cabin in October. We will have our architectural tours in April. We, of course, are excited about our garden weekend, which has now been moved to September. We are going to be doing a fashion show this year. Fingers crossed we can get that off. And then we are very excited to introduce our Day of the Dead altar inside the permanent exhibit um, in the courthouse. So tons of stuff coming up. You can check it out on our Facebook page as well as our programs page under Plan Your Visit on the website. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Day of the Dead altar. Whoa. Yes, we are very proud of that. That's something I brought from Texas with me. The idea of Day of the Dead is to honor the past and those who have passed on through the use of the ofrenda, which is the altar. And of course, images are a huge part of that, but sometimes artifacts and things that people owned. And what is a museum but a giant ofrenda to the community? We honor the dead. We use pictures and artifacts to share their memories and keep them alive. So it's it's one of my favorite things. And people are, it's a community altar, so people are welcome to bring photos and non-perishable, non-valuable items to put on the altar for a full month before we get to Day of the Dead. Wow. Rhiannon, can you tell us a couple of funny or interesting stories from your museum's history? So uh, the story I'm going to tell is it takes a little longer, so I won't, I won't, this will probably be the only story I tell. But as kind of mentioned earlier, we're kind of in a bit of a revitalization process. And even though we've had paid staff the entirety of our existence, or at least in 75, there is absolutely, there was some bad maintenance that went on and why it was allowed to get to that point, I don't know, but we're a bit of a hotbed and a bit of a mess. And so I was, this is June, 2020. I had just hired my curator, John, at the time. And I gave him the, I let let him have the his head. And I said, look, you can either clean out your office and get ahead of these these donations, or you can get started in the archives and collections. Well, we had an upcoming exhibit. He wanted to get started on that. Just, you know, trying to get some familiarity with the collections. And we were standing there talking and he and I are kind of complaining about the the mess and how disorganized it is. Things are not really labeled very well, fragile items on the shelf and not protected. And I saw this chair leg and I started complaining about the chair leg. So I realized behind the chair leg was a bomb, more specifically a World War I air to surface missile. That was just chilling there on the shelf. Uh, so we ended up getting the bomb squad involved. And super nice guy, Fred Leish, he came out. He was pretty sure it was a dummy a dummy bomb, and it turned out to be true. They think it was probably a tester piece, like something that was used for practice, because there was nothing in it. It was still heavy, let me tell you. Even though it was, even though it was empty, it was still quite heavy. John eventually moved it to the records building. I didn't know that, and I had a heart attack thinking there was another one in our collection. <laughs> so I was like, thanks, John. <laughs> Make me make me feel very bad about this. The next week, I was sitting at my desk working on a press release when John had come into my office, and he goes, "You may want to look at this." Walks over and he hands me a bracelet box, one of those paper bracelet boxes. It had a piece of fluff in it, and in the middle was an egg-shaped piece of metal with a post-it note saying, "Danger! It may be active." Okay, so I ended up calling my guy with the, you know, you can keep your CPA and your lawyer. I have a bomb guy. So I called Fred back and I said, Fred, I think we've got bomb here that needs to be reviewed. Well, I was aware that we had munitions in the collections but I, because, I, because I left it to my curators to handle the collections as I should. 
I wasn't as familiar with it. So John takes me into the collections and there are artillery shells, there's bullets, there's bullets that are leaching gunpowder, there is cannonballs, there's, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's just a whole cat, a whole rickety cabinet full of these things. So Fred had me take some pictures and I sent it back to him. And while I was waiting for Fred to get back items, um, he comes back into my office and says, I think I found something worse. And I said, John, how could you find anything worse than potentially live bombs? By the way, don't challenge the universe. She likes to make an idiot out of you. <laughs> and he hands me a box and inside the box was a human jawbone. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> they don't teach you any of this crap in school as far as I know. I never got taught it. Maybe maybe in actual museum studies programs they do, but I didn't get taught any of this. So I'm on the phone with Western Michigan University trying to figure out what to do with this thing. Like a friend of mine is a forensic pathologist. So I text her and I said, hey, is this something I go to a FP for or do I go to like an anthropologist? She goes, go, go to an anthropologist. She goes, but can you send me a picture? Because, you know, why not? You want to see a picture of the human job. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was there any provenance to it? So we actually, so that's the, that's the problem. So. We went back. I cannot find it in the system, but I was able to find, apparently, this came to us wrapped in a cloth version of the U.S. Constitution, and it was donated to us by the American Legion Auxiliary in 1980 or 81. So we don't know prior to that, however, if they found it in the building that they took over, which had been an old GAR building. Or if this was something from their own personal collections, if this was something from the ALA's collections, we don't know. But we were not particularly pleased to find out how it came to us because now you're thinking, you know, is it, do we have to do with repatriation? Is this a NAGPRA situation? NAGPRA being the graves, the Native American Graves Reparations Act. Um, A colleague suggested that, you know, if it was the ALA, American Legion really didn't start until about World War I. And so there's a possibility it could be a war trophy from World War II, okay, repatriation globally. It could be, my goal and my hope has always been that it was just some guy who gave out body parts to his friends, but we have no, we have nothing. We did, in the long short of that story is we did some carbon dating on it through Western Michigan University, their School of Medicine's anthropological department or forensics anthrop- uh, forensic anthropology de- sub-department. Uh, they were able to date it to, at the time, this is in 20, by this point, it's like 2020, 2021, to about 100 to 140 years old. So that would put the earliest date for it somewhere like in the 1920s. So who knows? It could be a war trophy from World War I. We don't know. They still have it. It was just a jawbone with a couple of teeth in it, but it was, and what would have been in the side, the marrow and the mandible, that there was really no DNA they could extract out of it. They have not, they cannot say 100% without certainty that it, without DNA testing that it's not Native American, but it's missing some hallmarks that are common in the tribes that are in this area. So we let them have it. I have yet to get it back. I really have not chased it. So anyway, while I'm trying to figure out who to contact about this job, I get a call back from Fred, miss it. So I call him back and I said, hey, Fred, what's up? He goes, I think some of these are live. So he asked me if there was any more. I sent him all the lists that we kind of knew that we had. I said, this is about as far as I know we have. I don't think we have anything else. And the next day he comes out to take a look himself. And he, the week before, the week before he'd been, oh yeah, I'm so glad my kid's Paw Patrol blanket, blah, blah, blah. He's like being very jovial about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm like, Fred, you're not inspiring any confidence in me. So he calls me later that night and says, the U.S. Air Force from Grissom Air Force Base in Indiana will be up tomorrow at 11 a.m. to remove these bombs because we think some of them are active, including a couple that are already quite deteriorated. So the next day we had to close the museum and we had just reopened to the public. This is all during COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, we had just reopened public, so we had closed back down again. I'd come in, but of course we all came in because we were all nosy individuals. Curiosity's going to kill this cat, I'm pretty sure of it. And they were here for several hours. Ultimately, they ended up taking three Civil War cannonballs, none of which had any connection to Berrien County. A Civil War grape shot, again, no connection to Berrien County. And two world uh, a World War One German artillery shell, and then the egg shaped piece of metal, which was a World War One German hand grenade, both of which were war trophies from a local family's grandfather when he had served in <laughs> World War One. And those last two have been in our collection for decades. I got a call uh, later that night from Fred saying all six of them were active, and they made quite the explosion at the quarry. Wow. Um, the long and short of it is that whole situation was 48 hours from beginning to end from two o'clock Tuesday afternoon to two o'clock Thursday. My entire life was bombs for two days. That's my favorite story to tell. I mean, we've had other things like finding like asbestos or having to redo an entire exhibit because of, you know, lead or, you know, we had a gas coupling that needed to be replaced or would have exploded and taken out half the neighborhood. And I'm not saying my job is trying to kill me, but I am saying that my job is <laughs> a little bit more dangerous than they let you on to believe in college. <laughs> Hopefully you've gotten rid of most of the things that might kill you. <laughs> yes. So or, the, or the, the Air Force, yeah. So the Air Force was quite nice. They made, went through every single thing that we had and confirmed what was active and what, anything that was less than hundred percent went bye-bye. So they were able to determine what was active and what wasn't. And the bomb squad has been very helpful. They, we had bullets that had deteriorated and there was gunpowder all over this this drawer that these these bullets were in. We didn't touch it for two powder when we needed to get that unit out of the collections for renovation. And then, like the next day after they came to clean it up, <laughs> we called them again to let them know we had a combination of what was it? Oh, saltpeter and rosin. So saltpeter is the main ingredient in gunpowder yeah. and fireworks. And rosin is paired with saltpeter to make it burn hotter and faster and quicker. So these guys have been in a tin for probably over 100 years. The majority of that spent in someone's, you know, some grandpa's garage. So they had to come back and get that because that would have caused a serious fire and probably more if it had, if anything happened to it. And they were unstable at this point. Yeah. And then whatever last gunpowder bullets we had, we told them to take them. We didn't need any of that. I mean, we're going to, I, like I say, I think my job's trying to kill me. At least it's being creative about it. I enjoy the creativity of it all. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, I'm sorry all that happened. <laughs> Goodness Not a story gracious. one would expect. I need to ask you about the exhibits that are on display at your at your facilities right now and i'm hoping you can describe the various facilities that are available at the history center at courthouse square which is what you call your facility your main facility mm -hmm. yeah so obviously exhibits are a huge part of our organization and where a lot of our artifacts and stories are on display 
So for the five buildings, the forge, the um, with the forge and the cabin closed during the winter because they are not heated. Eventually, the forge will be, but not right now. So we have a combination of permanent exhibits and temporary exhibits. So the permanent exhibits can be found in the courthouse, including Berrien Springs, our storied past, which we just renovated here about three years ago. We included interactives for kids and adults to enjoy and dive a little bit deeper into the story of Berrien County than its predecessor did. We also expanded the history of the courthouse and its successors, the 1896 and 18 or 1967 courthouses. And then we do have semi-permanent, I guess is the best way to put it, meaning they've been there for a long time, but at some point they will change. I'll go back into that in a little bit. And the cabin, and the cabins actually should be a little bit older than what we're interpreting it now. But there are things and you know information on display in the cabin as is there are in the forge. And then the sheriff's residence, we have a permanent exhibit on the sheriff's office, which is another recent renovation. And the hallway we just did last year to make it feel more home-like and kind of give you an idea what a house like that would have been like in Berrien County in about 1885. And then we have a, per, a temporary exhibit space in the permanent exhibit in the courthouse. It's just a, it's just this little itty-bitty case that we had we had no use for, but we didn't want to use it, kind of leave it on its own. So instead, I ended up deciding to make that kind of a, I guess, a rotational, but there we change it out whenever we feel like it. There's no strict schedule to it. Uh, currently on display are, is a portion of our Vaseline or uranium glass collection, complete with black lights so you can see them glow. And then the lower level, the sheriff's office is where our temporary exhibits run. As I said earlier, we run them quarterly now. We used to run them every two months, but people complained about that. <laughs> so we go a little longer. And they are often pulled from our collection, but we have no problem borrowing from our partners in history crime here in Berrien County, like the Niles History Center has donated in the past, um, history, the Heritage Museum, the Railroad Museum. Three Oaks Museum, North Berrien Museum. So all these folks have been very helpful in loaning stuff to us in the past and will likely do so in the future. And I did mention earlier what our exhibits are, so I won't have to tell you what the 2024 schedule is, but you can see what's currently on display on our website. On occasion, we do allow our collection pieces to be exhibited elsewhere. Currently, we are working with the region of Three Oaks Museum down in Three Oaks for their photography exhibit. We have some really neat cameras and a magic lens that we're loaning to them for the summer. And we sometimes will put displays on in local libraries when they ask us to. As I said earlier, we are looking to expand the museum's facilities. We are looking at some point, our goal is to improve the interpretation in the, the cabin. We want to kind of clean up how it's being interpreted. We want better interpretive science, and we are going to install at some point uh, simple exhibits that, you know, our goal in the beginning is to kind of talk about pioneering in all of its senses. So pioneers in civil rights or pioneers in disability rights or pioneers who helped establish major businesses or, you know, actual physical pioneers, people who helped establish the town. So it's a little bit of everything. And then, of course, we can always expand that out and just have different exhibits and, and things like that, that, you know, maybe we work with community partners on. We're also looking to expand the interpretation in the forge. The goal is to gut that out and redo it. Uh, since it's not a historic building, I can do whatever I want with it, which is super nice. And the idea is that's going to refocus on business and 
early industries in Berrien County, like, you know, boat building, lumber, railroad, all things that we have stuff for, just no place to put it right now. Uh, that is actually a working forge as well. So we definitely want to make sure that gets an, its own opportunity to explore like the history of blacksmithing. And then at some point, my my uh, garden will get its own interpretation signage because we want to turn that into an exploration of history through gardening. And each year we'll have pick a different theme and build the garden around that theme. So plenty of opportunities and plenty of stories that we both are currently telling and plan on telling here in the near future. Very, very cool. I asked this question of every guest. If your building were to catch fire, what things would you grab on your way out? That is like asking me which child is my favorite. And I don't even have children. From a historical perspective, I would save the 1756 Vestiger's book that is written in German. It is the second oldest piece we have in our collection and a, quite a rarity. It's, it's a phenomenal piece. It's actually one of the only pieces, one of only three pieces that we left on display from the original exhibit that had been in the permanent exhibit area. I'm sure John would take something related to the Clark Equipment Corporate Archives. He loves that. But I have five buildings, so do I get five choices? <laughs> <laughs> what is a vestiture's book? So it's a book of sermons. It's a oh, okay. it's, it's, hard, it's a little hard to describe because I th- I don't it's German 1700 so it's a Protestant vestiger book filled with sermons that would be done in addition with the homilies or whatever they, they don't call them masses whatever the services are. Sorry, I was raised with Catholics. <laughs> Catholics we call them mass, but yeah, it's all completely in German and it is probably. Is pro- to us, it's probably the one that it's the one piece I would absolutely probably burn myself to try and save. Okay, very cool. Well, Rhiannon, it's time for a break for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. Mark your calendars for the Berrien County Historical Association's upcoming special events. There will be lots of fun for the entire community. From annual festivals to intimate gatherings, their events capture the spirit of the community with live music, traditional activities, vendors of all kinds, and delicious food. Experience the magic of history coming alive. Join in for unforgettable moments and create memories that will last a lifetime. For more information, connect with the Berrien County Historical Association at their website, berrienhistory.org. You can also email at info at Better yet, come on down to the History Center at Courthouse Square at 313 North Cash Street, Berrien Springs, Michigan. You'll love this beautiful place. Volunteer, donate, and become a member today. Bored? Yearning to hear something new? Well, you're about to be satisfied. Picture this. An episode of the Preservation Oaks podcast from Hawaii, 
where you'll learn about a hidden temple and bathing complex used by the queen and the royal family themselves, just dripping with intrigue and history. That's all covered in episode 2 with Dr. Paul Brennan. Now, try to think about something else. Can't, right? Well, you don't have to, because Preservation Oaks is available anytime at preservationoaks.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it very much when you like, subscribe, or follow us to hear every satisfying episode. 9 out of 10 listeners agree, Preservation Oaks is the best podcast on the internet. And here's a word from RCA Victor. Last week, the curtain went up on the 75th anniversary of the National Baseball League and the 50th anniversary of the American League. There's no better way to celebrate than by enjoying at first hand the thrills and the clean sportsmanship of baseball today. Baseball today. It's the American way. Of course, the next best thing to a seat in the stands is a seat in front of a 19-inch RCA Victor television. RCA Victor's new extra-powerful picture pickup gives you the best possible reception everywhere. You know RCA Victor television is most in demand, but here's really important news. RCA Victor 19-inch television is available. It's on display now at dealer stores. So insist on the best. Insist on seeing 19-inch million-proof television by RCA Victor. When you do, you'll agree... Inch for inch, your best buy in television is RCA Victor 19-inch. You'll be pleasantly surprised when you discover how Spam baked for dinner is a real taste tempter that satisfies the family completely. That's because Spam, S-P-A-M, is a perfect blend of sweet, juicy pork shoulder meat and tender ham. Seasoned in a better way, cooked to a delicious extra goodness. Plan a meal around baked Spam. It's so easy. Just open a can of Spam, place the meat in a shallow baking dish, and bake according to the recipe on the label. In a jiffy, you'll take to the table a main course so distinctive in meaty flavor, so filled with lip-smacking satisfaction that the family will say, Spam is really elegant eating. Give the folks baked Spam tomorrow. The easiest to get, best to eat dinner you've had in a long, long time. But start right and get the real thing. Be sure to ask your food dealer for S-P-A-M, Spam. And then you'll be happy like Susie in the story, who found... Susie winked her eye, and Sam passed her by. But baked Spam for dinner was the way she got her guy. There's a common phrase that's being kicked around in your house and mine more and more every day. And that is high cost of living. Sound familiar? I'll bet it does. I'm sure you've heard Mother and Dad mention it more often than once. And you will undoubtedly hear it many more times as the days go by. Now, just in case you're hazy on exactly what it means, let me give you a rough idea. It means that the cost of your clothes and food has gone up to a point where the family budget has become somewhat strained. Well, that's one of those things. And you can't be expected to increase the family income. But there are some things you can do to help. For instance, take better care of your clothes. When you come home from school, change into old clothes before you go out to play. Take care of your health because doctors and medicines are expensive. Eat well, but don't waste. Take your full share, but eat all you take. Try not to ask mother and dad to buy you things you don't actually need. Make the best of the most of what you've got. Try to be more than usually careful of your school equipment, such as paper, pencils, and so forth. 
Make them last and go as far as you possibly can. Remember that all members of a family must pull together at a time like this. So do your share. And now, back to Preservation Oak. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Rhiannon Cezanne, the Executive Director of the Berrien County Historical Association located in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Rhiannon, we've learned a lot. I've had a great time. Thank you very much. Let's pick up where we left off and welcome back. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's, it's fun to talk about the museum. Rhiannon, what kind of funding model supports the organization? What are your funding goals this year? So for us, we are like a lot of museums, essentially private in the sense that we are not owned or as a division of a larger company or municipality. So our funding sources have to be diverse in order for us to make sure that we're meeting our goals. Currently, our largest funder by a long shot is the county. Because we are the stewards of their property, they do pay us every year to maintain this property and make sure it's open. We have obviously a list of goal, common goals between both organizations. So there are our largest, followed by general donations to the museum, tertiary are sponsorships for events and programs, followed by membership, gift shop sales, programs, and admission fees. Admission fees is kind of last for us because we had just started with admission fees this year. And which of those are more impactful each year just changes from year to year. We also write grants. Grants are a little bit harder. One of the things we often warn people is do not assume that grants are going to fund everything that we do. It is impossible. And most grants are limited to things like renovation projects, exhibits, and programs. Our biggest issue and our biggest need has been and will always be for operations. One of the things I am trying desperately in a one-woman crusade is to get people to stop thinking about operations as a bad thing. For many decades, I don't know who started this, and I really wish them ill will, but any nonprofit that brags about having, quote, low overhead is not an organization you want to give money to because they don't care about their mission. They care about looking good. Museums and nonprofits who spend a significant amount on overhead, which is a, not even a correct term, it's those are our lights, those are our utilities. It is any building fees and funds that we have to take care of. It's office supplies. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is our salaries. There is no magic wand for any of this to happen. If you like what we've been talking about, it happens because we have paid staff to do it. And we need to pay our staff an appropriate living wage, especially given where we're at. But the money can be earmarked. So, for example, we do have an ongoing grant right now from 2022 we're still working with specifically for signage because we need to improve signage here at the museum. We've had people give specifically for exhibits or for programs, but we've also had people just give to us because they're so excited about the work that we're doing. And that money, the less it's earmarked for something, the more likely we can use it wherever it is most needed at that time. So for example, one of our more frequent, recent frequent donors gave us a nice check at the end of 2023. 
And we've opted to earmark that for our musical music and the arts. And we want to make sure that it's paired up. But they did not say we had to do that. We opted to do it. Throughout the year, we do have a couple of fundraising opportunities. So in April will be our Happy Birthday History Center Courthouse Square. So essentially in 1975, based on the research we've done, there had been an article in the, I believe, the journal era announcing that the museum, it was opening for the 1975 season, and they noted that the renovations at the courthouse were now done and that they were looking forward to the season. So that's the date we kind of estimate to be when we really went from being a historic building to a museum. We were done with renovations in the in the bits on display. We had a gift shop. And at that point, we already had the cabin. And we're still a couple of years out from Bennett's Forge. But nonetheless, they had already begun to rethink how they were. And as I said earlier, the following year in 76, they rebranded as the association. So, you know, so that's kind of when we do it. So we thus make April of every year our birthday, because that's when that season opened in 75. So we're going to celebrate 49 years as a museum this year. And all month long, you can give and donate. Our goal this year is $10,000. You can donate online, over the phone, or in person. You can also send us a check if you want via mail. And then at the end of the month, we're going to have ourselves a birthday party complete with cake. And I am definitely getting ice cream this year. They said no to the ice cream last year. I'm doing the ice cream this year. (laughs) In October, we have our Bountiful Berrien which is kind of a farmer's market after doing it. So our our goal this year for our fundraiser is $10,000. And then this year we have launched um, an initiative that I hope helps your listeners and other donors understand the power of their united impact. It's called the Thousand for 50 campaign. And people give me like $50 and say, well, it's not a lot. And that's not necessarily true. Maybe in a larger institution, that might be the case. But in an institution of our size, $50 goes far. $50 is, you know, food and refreshments for two programs. $50 goes towards one of our bills. $50 purchases, can purchase a, well, depending on who we purchase it from, can purchase two specialty boxes from our sources like Gaylord. Every aspect of our museum could use that $50. But the thing is, is $50 is on its own, while generous, can be more impactful when it's paired. If you end up having two people give me $50, now it's $100. Now we have supplies, office supplies are purchased for at least six months. We are able to pay for a workshop for our staff to attend to learn, you know, some of the latest and craziest routines we do here in the museum world. $100 pays for our membership into a local, one of our local organizations so we can take advantage of partnerships and new opportunities. So we're bringing the best to you. But if a thousand people donate $50 each, that's $50,000. And the impact is enormous. If we are able to raise an additional $50,000 a year, we would be able to increase John and my salary. We are vastly underpaid for the work that we do. And we can finally start creating a more equitable and competitive salary so that whenever John and I opt to leave, the BCHA can attract the best and the brightest to Berrien County. We can hire another person if we wanted to. We could make renovations. 
We could purchase materials. We can spend more on advertising so people know that they have options here in Berrien County for children, for families, for teens, for adults, for seniors. The things that you want something unique and different, we need to get out there. We spend very little on our advertising, and it can be very confusing for folks who want to come see us. We want to be able to make that signage and those, those digital pathways much easier for folks. $50,000 allows us to invest in things like accessibility or video production so that we can make sure that we are advertising our wares to people. We have an opportunity to send staff to much further, you know, much larger conferences so that we can isolate it here in our own little place. The impact donations have on small institutions like ours is so huge that I think a lot of donors don't get it. Every dollar matters, every dollar helps, but every dollar united with another dollar creates an unparalleled opportunity for such a small museum like ours. So there are plenty of ways in which you can give financially, but you also can give your time. Volunteers are always needed for events and programs. If you've ever wanted to see how a trial works but not be on jury duty, come be a juror on a mock trial for our local high schools. Come help us with this much-needed recataloging and organization of our collections and archives. You love working with people? Come help us be a tour guide. Are you artistic? Help us create new items for our, for our gift shop. Are you a person who loves Loves, loves, loves people come work one of our events. Pickle Fest, we always could use volunteers. Because a lot of our grounds and buildings still need a lot of work, scout groups, oh man, Eagle Scouts, you want to come out and do a project, please. I got about 45 things that needs to be done and you will be happy to do it. Senior projects, we've been a, a site for senior projects from Berrien Springs High School. Internships, a little back and forth. Those are a little bit harder because there's a lot more work to go into those. But we do welcome local students and residents only because we cannot afford to pay you we do not want people coming from alaska to do any work here because we cannot because it's just not it's just not acceptable you would have to spend too much money to be here and you wouldn't get much value out of it what you're spending also we have positions open on our board of directors we are looking for individuals who are passionate about philanthropy fundraising friend raising and ensuring that our organization has the best foundation possible to keep going forward if you are interested in volunteering with the BCHA, you can go to our website, barryandhistory.org. You can email our curator, John Moga, at his email, jmoga at barryandhistory.org, J-M-O-G-A at barryandhistory.org. And um, we always have little opportunities. So we, we're always looking for volunteers for our jury for the St. Joe High School mock trials twice a year. But also sometimes we need, you know, We've got a garden. We're going to need a volunteer corps for gardens. So there's all sorts of opportunities that are that are will eventually come up. So just kind of one of those. Here's what we need now, and here's what we're going to need in the future. So absolutely check it out. Um, and we accept volunteers and community service. We accept that as well. So there's ways of giving, and small ways of giving. Attend an event. Come help support us. You attending allows for us to be able to know what we're doing is correct. Participate in our activities and come visit our exhibits and yeah, buy your membership. It does not matter how much or how little you give to us. Everything matters and everything counts. Very well said. Thank you. What are your membership levels? 
So we are actually pretty affordable as far as membership goes. $20 for the individual. And our largest donor section is Benefactor at $500. As a member, you do receive some perks because obviously we want to say thank you for giving your dollars to us. So depending on the size of your, your membership, you can have a number of guests added to it. Obviously, individuals just for you. You can't bring anybody else or none of your, and none of your benefits can be transferred. But if you're thinking like family or sustaining or patron, you can actually bring guests and you actually are able to extend at the higher levels your guest perks to somebody else. Nice. It's about a year long for your membership and perks include our monthly digital newsletter, The Docket where you get to read my witty comments and my hilarious letters, along with John's deep research of local history. You get free or reduced admission to the museum programs and other events. You get member-only announcements. You have an opportunity to access the State Historical Society's Historicist as the thingy. Please don't abuse that if you're not a member of the BCHA. And of course, you have things like gift shop discount. Actually, our discount just jumped up to 15%. We thought 10% was too low. And then if you are in the higher levels, you can get things like behind the scenes tours, an evening with moi, and even additional memberships to give out as gifts. So plenty of really great perks for our memberships uh, and our members for such a small organization. Nice benefits. I was also reading that you guys do event rentals. We do. So our biggest challenge is the county doesn't allow us to have alcohol on the property unless it's our specific event. Don't worry, I'm fighting that. <laughs> but for the most part, we have had weddings here. We have had general parties here. So if an organization wants to have like a meeting here or whatever they can, weddings are our most common. We have hosted homeschool groups. We've had people, bands and performers rent the property for performances. And then we are trying to increase the number of individuals who see us as our grounds as a place to rent. And so we actually have someone interested in a potential class reunion later this year, family reunions, weddings, all of that can be held. If you are looking for a dry place, though, we definitely can 100% help you on that. So and all the dollars from that goes back into operations. So it's definitely a very, very helpful option. Oh, very cool. Thank you for that. What kind of outreach and education does the association undertake within the community? So we've been kind of tied to the museum for the last few years as we've been making these much needed renovations. But obviously our programs and exhibits are a portion of that, but we are working to get back out into the community. So like, for example, the last couple of years, we were invited two years ago to the local, to the, the Niles YMCA's Healthy Kids Day. I remember telling that someone like, well, what do museums have to do with healthy kids? So at our booth, obviously we have information about the museum and whatnot, but we have an opportunity for kids to see if they are strong enough to be a pioneer. So we bring in a replica, I'm very mean, we bring in a replica <laughs> butter churn that I load with weight so people can understand kind of how heavy milk can be. By the way, you never realize how heavy milk is until you go look it up and it doesn't seem that heavy. We also have an iron, iron, so obviously clothing and things like that. And we do have a 1940s, might be a little earlier than that, but a 1940s apple peeler that attaches to your counter. And so it's kind of, it's fun because the kids go, they'll pick things up or they'll move, oh, this is easy. And then you're like, okay, now do that for 20 minutes. And you just see their faces drop. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, 
So we're looking to like to do like more bridal events to promote us as a, as a venue for weddings. We obviously promote in the docket and we also do a bi-monthly, not quite newsletter, but kind of an announcement letter. There's a small, small little message for me, but it's all upcoming events and programs and that's available to anybody on our list. So, and it's usually to help people remind to, for their planning purposes. We also do have links there. So if you're wanting to sign up online or whatever, they're able to do so. We do provide annual awards. We have a volunteer of the year, which we introduced last year. All right. Because we now have volunteers that we can we can treat. We just introduced the Judge Tom Nelson Legacy Award. It is given at the discretion of the board to any person who has dedicated, well, their time and their energy, I guess is the best way to frame it, to the museum for 10 or more years. Tom was a longtime member. He was here for over almost 40 years. He did what he was supposed to do. He had his terms and he rolled off and then he came back. So he was very passionate. So we were very glad to be able to do that. And then uh, we, we do a History Hero Award. It's given to an individual business or organization who has impacted um, the preservation of history in the last year. They, they can be dead, but they have to be dead within the last year. So all of this is information that can be found on our Facebook page, email blast, and on our website, although I get sometimes a little slow on updating the website, my apologies. And then, of course, you come to the museum, we have, you know, our calendars out, we have it in our um, display case on the exterior. And I do go to, you know, we I do go to meetings where I can to promote and, and, and I have a good relationship with the local newspapers who really always get excited when we do something unique and different here and they promote in the newspaper. Oh, very cool. Now, recently, what kinds of records or historical artifacts has the association received as donations from the public? So we've been very open. We actually, if you go to our website under collections and archives, we have a four-page list of things that we are missing or at least topics that we are missing representation of. So we've been using that to help guide a lot of our decision-making. Uh, we've also streamlined how people can donate and we're much more open to saying no. If you come to me with like woodworking tools, the answer is no, I already got 400 in my collection. I don't need them. But uh, as of late, some of the neater things that we've been receiving is used to be a company in, in Benton Harbor that made board games and some guy in Wisconsin, or I'm sorry, Minnesota found it, thought it was cool. Realized it was from Berrien County, realized he had no need for it. So he bought it and sent it to us. And now it's in our collection. We have received, it's been a couple of years, but we're very excited. A local member of the Potawatomi Nation out of Oklahoma, who has family also with the Pokagon, which is a local tribal band, donate a mother of the groom's dress. It was for her the donor's older brother's wedding. So it's a full-scale handmade dress with wow. traditional Pokagon design and embroidery so we're very very actually you know what forget the vestitures i'm going in a fire i'm going after that guy <laughs> yeah that's cool it's a newer one from the 80s which is great we are missing quite a lot from the 20th century of course they were not actively collecting current stuff in the 1980s and we just signed a memorandum of understanding with leader publications who produces the niles daily star and we're about to take on a 500 bound copies of five newspapers Oh. that they had oversaw over the last God knows how many years. And we're very excited because they said they'll help us look for the donations to, to help fix, you know, make that, give us a, give it a new home here. So that's one big thing that we're absolutely working on. And then this year I haven't, you'll be the first to hear about it. We have not even publicly announced it. So this will be the first more details to come, but we are going to start offering um, digitization services here at the museum. Oh, cool. uh, there will be a fee 
again, the money to go into helping the collections and archives. But the idea is that we will digitize a certain number of pictures uh, up to a certain size for a certain fee. Um, and the exchange is that we get to keep the digital version so we can help fill in some of these gaps. The idea is that hopefully you like this so much that when the time comes, if nobody wants those photos, that you choose to give it to us. But if not, we'll have those digital. More information is to come in the coming weeks. We're hoping to announce the final fee schedule and all of that and how it works in March. But we'll keep it to a minimum. You know, there won't be a large amount to give our because we're a small staff with even you know only a handful of volunteers and the fees and all that. So watch out for our social media and our website for more information in March. Oh, that's a very cool announcement. Thank you. Yes, I know. Moneymaker and a collections builder. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. I'd like to share the contact information for the Berrien County Historical Association once again. Their website is berrienhistory.org. You can email them at info at berrienhistory.org. On Facebook, look for them at History Center at Courthouse Square. Their mailing address is P.O. Box 261, Berrien Springs, Michigan, 49103. Their physical address to visit, and I hope you do, is 313 North Cass Street, Berrien Springs, Michigan, 49103. Okay, Rhiannon, what kind of things are available to do on your association's website? You've mentioned a number of things. So our website has an opportunity for you to become a member under our join us um, under memberships. You can sign up for registration if we have in a rare instance of a paid employment or an opportunity for an internship. It's all under employer volunteering. You also have access to free stuff on our website. So if you were to go to our website, under newsroom, we're going to rename that here. We have, we have a new, more streamlined website coming up. You have access to old dockets dating back to the 1970s that was scanned by a very ambitious high school student. We love Parker. Thank you so much. If you want to see kind of what, how we're making the news, we have links to podcasts like this, as well as newspapers and, you know, TV stuff that we have done. So you can kind of see what we've done in the past. We also have free downloads, and this is a really cool one because this is a combination of history booklets that came from previous exhi uh, exhibits. We are waiting. We just found the third one we were looking for. We just need to get it scanned and uploaded. But we also have kid worksheets and activities. Back in 2020, when we were canceling a lot of things, we felt a little bad because it meant that opportunities for kids were really limited. Uh, Pioneer take-home activity kit that had a bunch of guidance. And of course, the kits came with some of the, the actual physical stuff needed. And we ended up doing all sorts of different kind of worksheets and games that could be printed out and taken at home, coloring pages. So we have a Pioneer Living Law, because we are a courthouse museum. So we didn't have to talk about that. Holidays around the world, perfect for December. It's Black History Month. So you can learn about the Great Migration or make your own paper quilt that's inspired by Black Paint masters, or even learn more about how kente cloth has become so popular here in the U.S. Uh, for May, you can do Asian American and Pacific Islander History Month uh, with various activities. A Latino History Month is also available, um, and that's great for September and October. And if you just want to look something to do, we all we just found a stash of coloring books that were produced in the 1980s, and we will get those guys scanned up hopefully in the next couple of months. Keep in mind, we are a very small staff and some things like that just kind of get pushed down the list. 
So you can check that out again under newsrooms, free downloads. You also can plan your visit on our website. So our gift shop, if you want to go shopping on our gift shop, we have a link to that. If you're interested in learning more about programs or exhibits to come visit, everything is there, as well as information about tours and talks that we can either do here for you or come to your place of business. And then when we have everything ready for our fundraiser, Bountiful, Bountiful Barian is there. So a lot going on on the website. And like I said, we're continuing to modify and change these things. I'm hoping by summer to have a little bit newer, more streamlined version of this where it runs a little faster than my current website. Cool. It's not you. It's us. <laughs> a new one coming. That's great. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. I've got to ask you, what are your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation, the K through 12 kids? I think making them recognize that the problem is, is we teach history is an, and it's, and it's, this is not necessarily the teachers. This is not necessarily anything with the curriculum that they're doing wrong and they're not wrong. They're just, it's the way we teach history is an insular thing. It happened. We can't change it. We're just learning it because we feel you need to learn it. The reality is, is the story of us does not begin with our birth. It begins with the steps and the incidences and everything that happened prior to it, because it all shapes us. You can, you know, we cannot talk about, you know, our lives and, you know, our lives and, you know, wherever we live without acknowledging how our parents got us there and how they may have gotten there. It's not, it's not a separate thing, right? It is it's a very much living, breathing thing. Everything we do is very much shaped by what has happened in the past. And as much as it annoys people, it is true. Things are cyclical. Things come back into fashion. Behaviors come back into fashion. It is an opportunity for us to celebrate all that we have been able to do up until this point and give us the strength we need to continue to make the changes, especially in the field of civil rights with misogyny, racism, and other issues that are still plaguing us. And so recognizing that it is both instructional history is both instructional and reflective we are ref, we reflect what happened in the past as our current society but it's also instructional what not to do what to do and really give us the opportunity and the strength to take those risks to try what try to write the next chapter of the story fantastic thank you Rhiannon, I read that you and your association have won several well-deserved awards. What can you tell us about those? So, yeah, I mean, we've all we've had awards and we've also had quite a lot of nominations. And the nominations were just as important to us as the awards were, just simply because after so many years of decline, we were suddenly being recognized once again by our community. And that is probably the greatest thing that we could get. But we are a 2020 recipient of the Pivot Award from the Michigan Museums Association for doing what we could to, quote unquote, pivot during, <laughs> during COVID. And for us, it was making sure that we moved digitally. We were posting things weekly. We were posting things online. We were all over Facebook. I had a weekly, for like five weeks, I did a different video on different parts of museums, like how we handle collections and ways you can use those ideas in your own life or whatever. And so for such a small organization that was struggling, it was, it was a big deal for us to be able to have survived. Not unscathed, obviously. Financially, we took quite a hit like a lot of other institutions, but our doors were still open by the end of 2020. And knowing where we were at when I started the year prior, that was very important to me. We've also been, uh, we're a two-time nominee for Nonprofit of the Year 
or nonprofit excellence or something like that for the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber. I was nominated uh, two years ago for a Rising Star Award, which was un- was a huge surprise to me. Um, and I am a, four- a class of 40 under 40 for E20 or 2021. I can't remember, one of the two years. And that was the biggest, that was a huge boon because I am not from Berrien County and a lot of my class was. These were people who had been working in Berrien County from the time they were teenagers and they're more out in the community than I was. And so it was just like, oh, they recognize us. They know we're here. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, we if we've been nominated for other things and I know people have nominated us, not really been a finalist for anything. But in the very early years, when I first started in 2019, 2020, 2021, can I say the early years? Those are those are the early years. Um, that was probably the biggest boost we needed to keep going. It's nice being told, no, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Good job. You know, and so we're hoping in the next year or so after we've made some additional changes and this, that, and the other, that, you know, we start racking up those awards again, because I know we'll definitely earn them. Fantastic. And congratulations. Oh, thank you. Is there any other information or message you'd like the community or members to know about? The Berrien County Historical Association is committed to sharing the past of our county, our respective region, and the nation as needed and within the boundaries of our abilities. Um, We will remain committed to collecting history and sharing it for years to come. And we will never allow ourselves to ignore history, to hide it, to push it under the rug, or otherwise alter it to make it more palpable. We are willing to face this head on and give you the opportunity it's meant to be experienced versus how others think you should experience it. And that commitment to ensure that everyone has that opportunity is at the top and forefront of all of our work here at the museum. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, volunteers, and the community view you and the association in terms of benefit and value? Well, if you'd asked me this question, which I guess would now be six years ago, the answer would have been no value. When we did our strategic planning session in 2018, we were told, even by the locals here in Berrien Springs, that they were surprised we were still open. They weren't aware that we were doing anything here. Schools telling us that they didn't see any value of bringing their students. And I think that's, we've done a 180 on that. We recently experienced a theft at the museum, a financial theft. Hundreds of dollars were stolen out of our donation box. And John had gone, John lives locally and he was at the local grocery store. And they know he works here. And the women found out about it through the newspaper. And they were absolutely appalled, just appalled that someone would steal from the museum. Why would they come into our town and steal from our museum? People see value in us. They're territorial about us again, because they know we're here and they know we're once again a part of the community and they want to protect us. The local Rotary Clubs donated hundreds of dollars to help recoup the costs that we lost. And many people were very outraged on our behalf. They were very upset that we would have been you know, attacked in such a way and offered whatever help they could. And I don't think that's something that would have occurred in 2017 or 2018 before we made all these changes. We have val- we've always had value, but now people see it and they appreciate it and they're glad for it. Fantastic. Thank you. 
Thank you, Rhiannon and Cezanne, for spending time with us today. I just want to tell you how grateful I am for you being here and helping us to understand your wonderful area of the country and your great Berrien County Historical Association, the History Center at Courthouse Square, is really amazing. You're doing some fantastic work there, and I've enjoyed learning so much about you and your organization. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate you considering us for the show. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest, Rhiannon Cezanne, the Executive Director of the Berrien County Historical Association, located in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Preservation Oaks. As we wrap up, let's reflect on the remarkable journey of the Berrien County Historical Association under the leadership of Executive Director Rhiannon Sisson. Rhiannon is not just a leader. She's an outgoing force of nature. Her dedication, intelligence, and unwavering commitment have propelled the association to extraordinary heights. From developing and executing a five-year strategic plan to revitalizing neglected facilities and exhibits, her impact is undeniable. In my travels across the nation thus far, interviewing leaders of historical societies and associations, this is a rare accomplishment. The communities of Berrien County need to be aware how very thrilled they should be to have an individual like Rhiannon as the leader of their historical association and working on their behalf. Recognized with numerous prestigious awards, both Rhiannon and the association have garnered acclaim for their excellence in preserving history and serving the community. But their work is far from over. In 2024, the association is gearing up for a lineup of exciting events. From architecture tours to Halloween ghost tales and wine tastings. But amidst the celebrations, there's important work to be done. The restoration of historic buildings and ongoing community integration remain top priorities. Safety is paramount, and thanks to Rhiannon and John's diligence, all hazardous materials have been safely removed from the collection, ensuring a secure environment for all. Rhiannon's advocacy for transparent financial stewardship is commendable. As the association approaches its 49th anniversary, they aim to raise funds to support their vital mission. The 1000 for 50 campaign invites county residents to contribute $50 each, knowing that every dollar directly enhances the association's offerings. Volunteers are the lifeblood of the association with opportunities for everyone to get involved. Whether it's event assistance, collection organization, or guiding tours, there's a role for every talent. Looking ahead, the association is embarking on new initiatives, including a new digitization service to preserve community memories for future generations. 
In the words of Rhiannon, our story is not just our own. It's intertwined with the past, shaping our present and future. Together, let's celebrate our history and empower the changes needed for the next chapter. The Berrien County Historical Association relies on the support of its community, whether through museum visits, event attendance, or generous donations. Your contribution makes a difference. Join them in preserving the rich tapestry of Berrien County's history. Hey, thank you for listening. And remember, the story continues with each of us. The contact information for the association, you can reach them via email at info at Their website is berrienhistory.org. You can find them on Facebook at History Center at Courthouse Square. Their mailing address is P.O. Box 261, Berrien Springs, Michigan 49103. You can visit them, and I hope you do, at 313 North Cass Street, Berrien Springs, Michigan 49103. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the association via the contact information provided. If you're a listener in the area the association serves and you're not already a member or a volunteer, please consider joining and supporting them. Hey, I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the association is to the community and what kinds of excellent services they have to offer their members and the public. The Berrien County Historical Association, located in Berrien Springs, Michigan, is truly one of our nation's preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Symbol Bird, Music Dream, RKVC, Tim McMorris, Track Tribe, Alexander Nakarada, and Scott Holmes. Microstream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit us at www.microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by Microstream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of Microstream Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is Sean Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks. And until then, keep on giving and keep on living the good life.